welcome to episode one of Out of Game. In today's episode, we're going to give you an introduction to the podcast, discuss our top ten games, and review One Night Ultimate Werewolf. This is your host, Ryan. Join myself and Chris as we go out of game. Hello, listeners. So, wanted to kind of prep you before we get started. We have kind of an abrupt start to the podcast, uh, which you're going to notice in a second here as we kind of jump right into introductions. And the reason for that is we've never recorded a podcast before, so when we turned on the mics, we we didn't know what to say at first, and we weren't really saying anything coherent. Uh, and it, I don't think it was worth leaving into the beginning. So I've, I've moved all that to the end if you want to hear it. So it's going to seem, like I said, abrupt as we kind of jump in. So wanted to prep you for that. So anyways, uh, without further ado, I hope you enjoy the show. Why don't we start with introductions? Chris, give me a little intro about yourself. Yeah, so my history is not as extensive as most of the gaming world out there. Uh, I saw the list of games. I saw some of the top ten lists. Been to BoardGameGeek.com, as many of you have probably. And I know I'm a relative newbie at some of this, but I do have enough games that I've played and some experience to at least develop a top ten list and have some opinions and in general, I just like to talk about stuff and uh, be a critic and um, talk about pros and cons and break down the different dynamics of gaming. So hopefully can add something to the, bring something to the table for all of you experts out there. So uh, like what kind of games did you play? When did you start gaming? The uh, slow speed chase in the O.J. Simpson situation. <laughs> When that was going on, I played my very first game of Magic the Gathering. Never forget that moment. They were doing this stuff on the news with this Bronco and whatnot. This guy came to my house, hey, you got to try this game. And he brought up the pack of cards. And, it, you know, it's for people who don't know, it's a collectible card game. And, uh, you know, strategy. And, and it, was very, it was very new. It was the first of its kind. And the industry kind of exploded after that with a lot of copycat games and different variations and Lord of the Rings themes and things like that. So that kind of got me into gaming. And then, obviously, before that, Dungeons & Dragons and GURPS and the role-playing games, which every, you know, it's the second nature to every nerd out there. And, of course, being one myself, I was swept into that world, too. So that was my background mostly until you guys, Ryan and uh, a lot of the group we play with, um, wanted to switch from the card games to something else, from the card games and the role-playing games to these kind of intense strategy board games, which were kind of new to me. And so what have we been doing that for, two years, three years now? Yeah. So uh, now that we're into that, um, you know, I see the appeal, and uh, we have a good time doing it. And we realized, I'm speaking for Ryan here too, but we realized there's a lot to talk about with these games. It's a lot of interesting things to dissect. Uh, what makes a game fun? Uh, what makes an annoying player? You know, we came up with a list of some of these topics that are kind of interesting to discuss. And uh, being opinionated, we can maybe make some entertaining conversation. Yeah, I think um, 
uh, one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast is because we found ourselves uh, having these like 60 email chains about just these weird uh, discussion topics that we never had talked about before we played these these games. Um, so uh, you know that's one of the that's kind of how the idea was born. I think the to gaming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. For me, uh, well, first of all, let's let's talk about something really boring for a second. So, what do you do for a living? Oh my gosh! Well, gee whiz, I'm in computer science. There's a shocker. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, no software developer, architect. I write books and do a lot of uh, nerdy stuff inside. Yeah, but he doesn't get paid for that second part. No, those are hobbies. <laughs> Not yet, at least. No. So, uh, so yeah, and my job is way cooler. I'm in IT. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so uh, my gaming history is is uh, it's kind of tied to Chris's in a way. So we, Chris and I, just a little history is we used to work together, and I was sitting at my desk one day. Uh, this guy comes up to me. We'll call him Karan. <laughs> he uh, he comes up to me and he says, uh, "Hey Ryan, I have, I have a question for you." He's like, "I have this puzzle that uh, I'm trying to figure out." So like, do you think you can help me with that? And I'm like, "Well, what is it for?" And then. He kind of he tried to explain to me like this uh, this this concept of this game called Dungeons and Dragons, and this is like I'm in work. I mean, I'm, this is post college for me. So, and I had, I had heard of Dungeons and Dragons, but I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was like some game that teenagers played and then they committed suicide. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right. So I helped him with this puzzle, and then he started like telling me more about it. And then you know, at that time, Chris and I weren't even really friends. I mean, we were coworkers. We were on different sides of the office. So uh, I started talking to Chris about these puzzles, and I actually helped them solve, I think, two of the puzzles. And, uh, and so after talking to, about it with Chris and, and Karan, uh, I decided to, uh, to just go one time and see what it was like. You know, I'm, I was a single guy, so I had nothing, nothing else to do. So I, I went, and uh, the first time I went, I just watched them play, and I was kind of astounded by this game like because i was always into uh reading like fantasy books like i loved uh, lord of the rings and these other like fantasy authors and i was into video games um like mmo video games um but i never played um any kind of role-playing game or even like you know later these strategy board games so we should point out that the role-playing game that we played the dungeons and dragons campaign we'll call it was pretty different from what a lot the way a lot of people do it there wasn't a lot of dice there wasn't a lot of um, dungeon crawling it was very social uh, political it was very interactive yeah so chris is the is always the dm of these games and his games are very story driven where you you try to get the system out of the way and just focus on the story and the characters and it's really um, immersive when you're playing it and I think that's what drew me in because if I would have showed up and they're like just like having minis and like crawling through a dungeon and killing stuff that would have been I guess interesting because I was doing that in a video game but I think the story element is what really drew me in and so so I decided to try it and I and I you know I came up with a character and started playing that so we we played this campaign for three years uh and then after that, um, you know, through that, got into magic. Also from uh, Chris, uh, kind of introducing it to me. Uh, and then, uh, so for me though, I was always on this quest um, to find game board games to play with my wife. 
that's actually how I started looking into board games. So uh, I would like go to Walmart and I would look around at Walmart and, and you know, these, these games were just like, I was like, what are these games? I was reading, they're like $8 card games. And I would like just randomly buy these games and they're horrible. Most, most of them were just, I mean, some of them were okay, but like, like phase 10 was probably the best one we found. If you ever played phase 10, some of you are probably cringing. So, uh, so I finally stumbled across board game geek and I figured out, which isn't easy, by the way, how to sort the games by rank and and just pick the first game off the list that could be played with two players. And it happened to be, at that time, Agricola. Mm-hmm. And so I got that game. And I remember I sat there reading the rule book. And, and I was so confused. Like, I was like, what? There's, there's no dice in this game? Like, how do you do things? Yeah. And, and, and I got so confused that I was like, I, I had to, like, I can't figure this out by reading it. So I had to go online and search and see if anyone had like a tutorial on how to play the game. And I found one by Scott Nicholson, who a lot of you are familiar with. Chris probably doesn't know who he is, (laughs) but he, he gave a great tutorial on how to play the game. And so like my wife and I played it. And then uh, after that, I just started getting, you know, more and more of these games. Uh, And then when I really got into it was uh, I met some guys uh, we we went to a, a church for the first time we moved, and I just the guy at the welcome center, like you, you, like I went down there to get a free book because like oh if you bring this card down on your first day you get a free book, and like I started talking to this guy, and then like somehow we figured out that that he was like into these games, and so was I. And I only had like a handful at the time, and like so that day they they invited me to a game night that week, and then I would say like kind of the avalanche mm-hmm. happened, yeah. So uh, that's kind of my history, and that was roughly, I don't know, two or three years ago uh, that that started. Yeah, and it's probably safe to say that a lot of the people in our group have the similar, very similar histories where, like, D&D is, like, the, the pot, and then magic is, like, the crystal meth, <laughs> and then now board gaming is, like, the heroin. Yeah. So you're, you get, like, kind of swept into this thing. That's not a fair analogy in the sense that some people might like other games. Uh, board games are certainly hot right now, and there's so many of them that you can, if you look, you can easily find something that you like. So um, <clears throat> that's a little bit about us. Um, and what, kind of what we're planning to do with the show, and this this could change and fluctuate over time, you know, we're hoping to roughly have like an hour-long show each time, um, probably be released monthly. Um, and uh, for as far as the format, I think kind of at the beginning, we'll probably just, you know, talk about different uh, current events uh, that have been going on with us, games we've been playing, that sort of thing. And then we'll move into a discussion topic. The discussion topics, I think, are where we're, we're really excited to, to go into the discussion topics that we have um, because, again, that's kind of what sparked our interest in doing the podcast altogether. Yeah, and the one thing I can promise for people who want to who stick with us and listen to this, I promise this will be entertaining because Ryan and I uh, have a very different perspective on some of these games that you might not always uh, think of. And sometimes you think of, but then you go into denial maybe. It, it, you just have to trust me. It's going to be good. Yeah, especially Chris. Chris probably has some of the weirdest uh, outlooks on certain topics, which makes for really interesting discussions. Because at first he'll say something, and I'm like, uh, the first thing I'll think is that like he's insane. But then after we discuss it for a while, you know, he he may bring me a little bit closer to to his side. Story of my life. <laughs> 
uh, and then you know after the discussion topic, you know, you know we'll bring a, a game review of a game that that we like. So I don't uh, personally, in my opinion, I'm not going to do a game review of a game I don't like. So uh, I'm not just going to do a review for the sake of doing a review. I think we're always going to try to pick a game that that we both like, or at least one of us likes, that we could have some conversation about. Because yeah. there's, there's no point in bringing you a negative review of something. I could just say one line, don't buy it. That's that's a good enough review for me. Right. But if we did that, too, it, you know, it's not... It's it's more interesting to talk about the games that are worth playing because there's... For every game that's worth playing, there's 10 or 20 that aren't. So instead of focusing on the ones that aren't worth playing, you know, we'll focus on the good experiences we have with some of these games. So, say we uh, move into the discussion topic today, which is going to be our top ten games. Top ten. Now, these games can be any game. It doesn't have to be a board game geek game. All right, so let's get this started. Chris, what is your number ten game? My number ten game? It's a game that I think most of our audience is familiar with, and it's one of the rare games on this list that I can play with my wife and kids. It's called Seven Wonders. Mm, okay. And for anybody who doesn't know Seven Wonders, it's, a, it's basically built on the idea of drafting cards and placing the cards that you pull and building your civilization based on those cards, getting victory points. So why do you, why do you like Seven Wonders? I like it because it's, you get the game in quickly. It moves, the game moves along. Uh, the mechanic is very elegant. And um, when you, whether you win or lose, I've never played that game and felt like I didn't enjoy the game. Yeah, actually, Seven Wonders is, is in my top 50 games. Um, but it didn't make the top 10, did it? It didn't make the top 10. But I, and, I'll, and actually, I'll give you the reason, though. The reason is we, I played it too much because I, I actually liked it a lot. Well, that should count then toward your... Yeah, but it moves it out. There's a lot of new so things in there. your top 10 list is going to be volatile, I think. It might be. But top 50 is actually good because I've played 100... You know, well, not hundreds. I've played no, over 100 games. Hundreds. Let's not be shy. Well, owning doesn't count as playing. <laughs> uh, but I think the thing I like about Seven Wonders the most is you can play it with seven or eight people and play the game in a half hour. Right. Which is great for especially our game group where sometimes we have eight people and we just want a game to kick off the night. And it's a pretty deep game. Yeah, it's true. So your number 10. So my number 10 is an amazing game that you've probably all played called Werewolf. So mm. I used to play this game when it well the mafia version when I was in college and I played it so much with a group of friends of mine that we had to like we had to make a decision as a group to quit playing. <laughs> uh, but where this game shines and where I usually play it is at conventions and we always play this at Gen Con. What's great about playing Werewolf at Gen Con is you have no idea who these people are in your in your village or in your circle. And just trying to figure out, you know, their their mannerisms and whether or not they're lying. Like, is that guy who's like, is that that guy who's that fat guy who's loud and annoying? Is he is he a werewolf? Because he's being pretty annoying, but then he he's not. He's just he's just annoying, right? Yeah, we could probably spend a whole podcast, one episode of the podcast, talking about werewolf. Yeah. It's such a great game, and it's worth breaking down at some point. Yeah, and another great thing about that is you have stories. You always have stories to tell about it yeah. afterwards. Yeah, there's some that I remember that are very interesting. The only criticism I'd have of you ranking that where you did is that it's not high enough. Hmm. Well, I think for the fun factor, it's 
it's really fun. I think the reason it's lower on my list is because we we really only get to play it once a year at Gen Con. Right, because you need a lot of people for that game. Yeah. There's a lot of variations on the werewolf game, uh, some of the card games we played, but they're all variations of a similar idea Right. that originated with the mafia and then the werewolf uh, circle. So I will say I got to play this. I, wanna, I, I organized a family reunion with my <clears throat> all of my cousins and my aunts and uncles and my parents, and I got them to play werewolf. It was awesome playing a game of werewolf with my parents. And there was one game where my dad was the werewolf, and I was the seer. And I figured out he was the werewolf. And my dad did such a weird thing as a strategy when I, when I was, like, busting him, is he tried to convince everyone that I was the seer and that, I, that they should believe me. It was so bizarre. And he was a werewolf, and it just, like, it confused everyone. And, and I finally, I got, I, I started talking to my mom. I'm like, Mom, dad is a werewolf. You need to kill him. And I was making it very obvious that I was a seer because they were about to lynch me. And I'm like, all right, if you're going to lynch me, I'm this, you know, I didn't say I'm the seer, but I'm like, if you're going to lynch me, he is a werewolf. Remember that when you see my card. I was, like, making it really obvious. Yeah. And, and then I told my mom, and my mom was like, why, why do you think that? And I was like, Mom, why, why won't you listen to me? And I'm like, I think you might be the other werewolf. And so, so, so we kill, we, I got everyone to kill my dad and he was a werewolf. So everyone cheered. Right. And then at night I checked my mom. My mom was the second werewolf and then I died. So didn't you know both the werewolves if you're the seer? No, cause you have to check them. So I only, I hadn't checked my mom yet. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right. So I checked my dad because he, I only checked him cause he was to my left. You know, because everyone, you should know this, by the way, for, for the few werewolf players out there, when you're the seer, check the people on your right and left. This is common sense. And, and the reason is because then you can, once you know they're safe, you can talk to them. And if you're about to get busted, you can tell them everything you know without everyone hearing you. Right. Something that annoys me about right, seers. So we'll, we'll have to break down the whole <laughs> werewolf strategy in a separate episode. All right. Anyways, uh, Chris. Very what, worthy number 10. All right. What is your number nine game? Number nine game is a game that I believe is also in your list. Okay. And it's called Kalos. It's a very interesting game. <clears throat> and I think there's a lot of games that fit the same system. Mm-hmm. Just different wrappers, different themes, whether it's... Uh, nature or space or whatever so it's i don't know if you want to you could probably describe it better than i could but it's the worker placement game with it's very heavily involved with the strategy of how you want to achieve your victory points there's multiple ways to do it your decisions interact with each other uh they're very integrated with each other the decisions of the different players and i really enjoy the the mechanic of that game can i ask you a question about kalis Absolutely. When you're playing Kalos, do you feel like you're building a castle? <laughs> there are times when, yes, yes, yeah. I do. I, I am the mason, and I'm building that castle. Uh, although, in the games where I'm not actually concentrating on building the castle, you know, there's other ways to get victory points, uh, then I don't feel as much like I'm building the castle. But I think overall... Um, that's the best way to win the game. You know, I'll say that when I'm when I'm playing Chaos, I, I also feel like I'm building a castle. Do you want to know why? Why? It's because I listen to sounds that sound like people building castles. Okay. While I play. Uh, and the royal favors, there's a lot of jokes to be had there. And Chaos is a game of no luck whatsoever. Okay. So that's another topic <laughs> for another time, is uh, how much luck is there in that game. And uh, it's one of those strange opinions of mine that I'll be venting about at some point. <laughs> All right, a little teaser there. So <clears throat> my number nine game 
is a game I've never even played a full game of, oddly. It's the game Village. So I really wanted to play this game, and uh, my wife and I went to Origins, and we signed up for a game, and it took this guy, like, over 20, 20 to 30 minutes to teach us how to play. And then we, we started playing, and then... I don't know why I like this game, because halfway through the game, my, my wife got sick. She actually had to leave the game, and then we had to leave the convention wow. because of some... She got, like, food poisoning, and, I, and that's why I never finished the game. Stay away from GMOs. <laughs> But halfway, th- but like even in that half game, uh, like I knew that this was going to be like one of my favorite games, and I and I bought it and I still haven't played it. And I'll, and the reason is it's really hard to get my game group to play new games for some reason. So I have it on my shelf, um, and luckily for me, I have two game groups, so it's eventually going to come out again. But so you're standing by that that's better than Werewolf. Yeah, it, and it's because it's it's more Werewolf for me is like a I would call it it's like my token party game on my list. Okay. It's it's a game that I love to play like in a social in a social environment. The most of my other games you'll see are more the strategy of the game is what's where I have fun. Mm-hmm. Of course Werewolf is a lot of fun. There's a lot of story there, but like there's not a lot of challenge in the game to get better and better at it. You kind of yeah. you're kind of either good at one thing or you're not. So like my skill in werewolf is not not getting lynched, right? But I'm horrible at everything else. But I, and I and it's never going to get better. True. Not being lynched part. <laughs> it's not, I'm never going to get better at it. But I still have a blast playing it. But these the, a game like Village is a game that you can play over and over, and you can refine your strategy and get better at it over time. And a lot of my games on my list are like that. So Village is my number nine. Fair enough. So we're on to number eight now. Yep. And uh, so number eight is, I mentioned this earlier, I had Speed Chess ranked there. The game of chess goes back, I don't know. So hold on, I have to stop you. Yeah. I just want to make sure I heard. So number your number eight game of all time is Speed Chess. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You so haven't I, lived until you play Speed Chess. I have to hear why this is, your, why this is on your list. So without boring the audience to death... <clears throat> Uh, like any good nerd, I was on the chess team in high school, but I wasn't very good. I was somewhere in the middle. And I learned the reason is I don't have the patience to sit there and map out all the moves, whether it's the patience or the skill, maybe both. With speed chess, you use those chess clocks and you have X time, maybe five minutes or so, in order to complete the game. So when you make your move, you tap the clock and the other guy's clock begins to tick. They're motivated to speed it up. And I suppose I should point out this relatively important fact that I've diagnosed ADHD, and it that fact factors into a lot of my the games I like and don't like. Yeah. When when I'm playing a game and somebody's taking their time too much, I want to put my face into a blender. <laughs> Doesn't have anything to do, and I'm just sitting there. I I think about different ways of killing myself and try to come up with the most creative solution and entertain myself that way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's gotten to the point that my friends even check to make sure I've taken my meds before we play and I bring extra, and I'm not lying about that. Yeah, this is number one on my checklist for the evening. <laughs> yeah, so uh, regular chess is very difficult for me because of how long it takes, but I do the game of chess, if you look at... There's like three basic elements of gameplay. We can talk about this in probably different podcasts, but there's this: how much of it is a decision making and strategy, 
and how much of it is the element of chance and then like the theme you know the, the what sort of theming are you immersed in there's other aspects of game mechanics but those are kind of three big ones and chess is like on one side of the spectrum where you have like a game a card game like war where it's basically random you're just randomly picking cards and the higher card wins you play that game with your with your young kids maybe that's complete luck and chess is on the opposite end of the spectrum where there really is no luck other than if you make a mistake uh, everything is on the board there's no dice there's really no nothing hidden there's no random chance there's do you notice something or not and most good games are somewhere in between I would make the case the less luck the better but of course there's got to be some element of chance in a game so that's one of the reasons I do like the game of chess but when you introduce the speed element now there's an air of excitement you can actually sit and watch two people play speed chess if you know the game of chess and appreciate it and be entertained whereas you can't watch two people play a real game it's too boring you don't know what they're thinking you don't know what their strategy is and there's a lot of dead time where you have no idea what's going on with speed chess there's a lot of action it's quick it's fast-paced you have to use your brain there's no dice involved and um you really don't have anybody to blame but yourself if you lose. And I think ultimately that's one of my favorite things about gaming too. Speechless. So if I sat down with you and we had Kalis, what was your number 10 again? Seven Wonders. And Seven Wonders and Speechless, you would choose Speechless. Yeah, uh, oh, definitely. And one of the big reasons is because we've never played it. I mean, in our gaming group, we've never done that. So it would be, it would be new in the sense that nobody's ever played that variation, but it wouldn't be new in the sense that if you know chess, there's not a big learning curve. Hmm. So yeah, it, it would be fun. In fact, we, we used speed chess in uh, D&D that one time where right. um, you guys got uh, the characters were given free ultimate healing or some sort of reward if they could beat beat me out of game in a game of speed chess. <laughs> was that the same day that we did slap? No, that was a different one. <laughs> okay. That's the game of slap, yeah. Yeah, Chris used to do these annoying things as a DM where he would take something he was really good at and he knew he could beat you at. And then he would incorporate it into the game. So there'd be like this sentient, sentient being in the game that for some reason was amazing at the game Slap. <laughs> that didn't happen very often, though. I think there was the Speed Chess incident, and I think it was the Slap incident of 2005. It was the same guys, though. It was the same. It was. It was yeah. It was <laughs> so if, 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 story. if you ever meet an alien, don't ever take the challenge of playing them in Slap because you will lose. Right. So that, but just to move it along, that's speed chess. And why don't you talk about your number eight? Number eight. So my number eight game is a game called Kemet. So <clears throat> Kemet is an uh, Egyptian-themed game, and it's essentially an area control game where uh, you're taking over areas to get temporary points. You, there are ways to get permanent points, and we always play the, I think it's called the short version in the game, where you play to eight points. So, like, if you have a battle and you win, you get one permanent point. But then if you take over this temple, you get a temporary point, and you're holding that temporary point. But then later, someone's going to come in and try to take the temple from you, and then they take the temporary point away from you. So you're, you're on this race to, like, tug of war to get to like eight King points. Yeah, kind of like King of the Hill. And then the, and the other great thing about this game is there's these awesome miniatures in it of, like, uh, uh, Egyptian um, mythological creatures. And... So there's another game that we've Chris and I have played together called Cyclades. These are kind of they call them like sister games, and uh, Cyclades has these creatures too. But they like come out maybe 
if someone buys a card, they, they maybe come out for one turn, they go away. Well, in Kemet, you, you buy this creature, and it's like in your army. Like, I'll have a snake in my army, and he's going around with my army, and the snake is awesome because your creature, it doesn't matter how cool he is because the snake, he neutralizes it. So I don't care what your guy can do. And it has like a scorpion and a, a beetle and all these awesome uh, so creatures. The, the most interesting thing about that description is how did you pronounce Cyclades? Cyclades. Okay. Just just checking. <laughs> is, is, is there a pronunciation guide somewhere? I don't no, know. I just go by what sounds right to me. Cyclades. Yeah, Chris also says Chipotle, I think. For the Chipotle. Chipotle. Chipotle, yeah. Yes, and I will not change that. <laughs> right. Even though I know it's wrong. Even though there's billboards that... I know. I know. They try. <laughs> so that's interesting. We'll have to try that game sometime. Yeah, well, maybe. We'll see. Maybe. If you if you're allow it. Another interesting topic, new games versus old games. True. Okay, number seven for me, Resistance. Anybody who knows uh, Werewolf... It's very similar in mechanic. You know, you, it's very social. You're trying to sniff out who the the, the uh, spies are, and it's it, you know, it's a little bit of deduction, a little bit of luck, a little bit of uh, human interaction. We would probably play this game a lot more. Um, we have some people in our group um, whose name rhymes with Nathan. Doesn't care for games like this, and so we tend to uh, maybe tone down the amount of times we play games like Werewolf and uh, Resistance. But I enjoy this this mechanic a lot. I think there's it's fun, it's social, it's there's not a dice factor. Um, there's always good story to tell afterwards. I think one of the reasons we don't play Resistance as much, another reason we don't play is because we played it a lot, and mm-hmm. so we try other variations of the game, but. Uh, in fairness to Nathan, though, I'll just point out he's very good about letting us play games that he doesn't want to play, and he'll just sit out and, and right. spectate. So we do get a chance to play these games anyway, but that's a definite number seven for me, and I'm not sure why it's not in your top ten. It's, you might have to explain that one. Okay, well, I mean, if Werewolf is number ten, where's Resistance going to fit in? Right? So... But I do have a question, though. What, so you've played Resistance and you've played Resistance Avalon. So which so, one do you like better? That's just an expansion of Resistance. It's the same game, just with the Merlin, right? And the, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like they redid it and they added special powers. Yeah, I mean, I could play either. They're even to me. There are sometimes I'd be in the mood to have the expansion, and then sometimes the, the original is good, too. Mm-hmm. I think they both have a place. So I actually, um, I think I'm on, a, on the, op- not the opposite end, but I'm in the minority. So most people that you ask will say that Resistance Avalon completely replaced the original Resistance. Like, there's no reason to get the well, original. They're two different games. They're completely different. So, so um, one thing that we may talk about sometime is, is how games replace other games. Like, you have in your collection, well, this is called the Jones Theory. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. But uh, you have these games in your collection, and you only need one game of a certain type. And Resistance and Resistance Avalon are like, they're almost the same game, mm-hmm. but people say that Resistance Avalon is slightly better, so you don't need ever to play the original Resistance again. But I actually don't agree. I actually like the original better after playing Resistance Avalon. But I don't look at one as an ancestor of the other that's replaceable. They're parallel. They're very different games in the sense that you, you have this chance at the very end of the game with Avalon where the spies can win. Mm-hmm. 
if they can find out who has the Merlin card. So there's a, it's a little random, but there's also deduction there. Uh, you can play that version, and you can play the original version, and have very different games. I don't think one replaces the other. I think they both they both have a place at the table. They're both fun, um, but they're different. I mean, we'll have to have a discussion on that. Yeah, but I like the original one better, because, and I'll tell you why. I like the theme better. So I don't know if you noticed in Resistance Avalon. So when you're playing the Resistance, for those of you who haven't played it, you like you're going on these missions. And the beginning of the mission, you have to you just make up this baloney mission. It doesn't have any. It doesn't matter what the mission is, but it's it's supposed to like immerse you in the theme. And when we played the original Resistance, we would always do that. We can still do that with Avalon. Yeah, but in Avalon, it's like you're restricted to this weird, this King Arthur theme, and it, it's like it's so restricted. And I, and that's the thing that I think bothers me about it, it's, and we and we just never did it. Right. I think the theming is does add a lot to the game. Yeah. I think when you don't do it, you miss it subconsciously, and it does take away a little bit of the flavor. Uh, I, I have theming listed as one of my major three gaming mechanics. Okay. And that's to me that's a very big deal. In fact, sometimes when we play some of these games, uh, a lot of times when I'm bored waiting for somebody to make their move. I'll start uh, personifying the pieces or whatever's happening in the game. I'll make up stories, side stories about it just to entertain myself and annoy those around me. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I I totally understand that. All right. Um, What are we on? Number number seven. Number seven. That was your number seven? Resistance. All right. My number seven is a game called The Pillars of the Earth. So this is another game I don't think Chris has played yet. Um, but I got the chance to play it. I, I own this game. So this is an older um, worker placement game and that I kept hearing, like, it kept coming up on other people's lists for, you know, you know, best worker placement games or, you know, best artwork in a game, like these different lists. And it just, I just kept hearing it over and over. And so I, I just bought it one day because it's, it's, like, hard to find. And it came up one day on, uh, I don't know if it was Amazon or Cool Stuff, and so I just bought it. No idea like what the game was about or anything. Just Genetic. just just based on what people said that it was a good game, and I finally got a chance to play it, and, and, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Like the, it, it was one of those games where I felt like the game um, design was very elegant, and and and, and you mentioned Kalos. I think Kalos is another one of these games where everything just kind of works worked together perfectly. It's like it was like almost uh, simplistic after mm-hmm. you learn the rules and. It's one of those games where I think you just would remember the rules once you've learned them once because everything just kind of makes sense. Or you might just, like, could skim the rules and you would remember everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the artwork on the board of the game is amazing artwork. Uh, and, you know, it's another one of these games where there's, like, a, one, one cool thing about it is you're, like, building this cathedral, um, which is kind of similar to Kalos, I guess. But there's an actual cathedral, like, out of, you make out of wooden blocks and there's six pieces to it, and that's how that's like the timer for the game. So when the last the sixth round happens, you put on the sixth piece. That's the only purpose of the cathedral. You don't actually you don't actually like get points for doing anything with it. It's just a timer. But it's just kind of cool to see it in the middle of the board. We'll have to try that sometime. Yeah. So this is uh, my number seven, the Pillars of the Earth. My number six, moving right along, is a game, and, and a lot of the games in my list. I think people are familiar with. Because uh, my overall list is not very large, but Battlestar Galactica. So it's another 
in the theme of detecting the spy, the werewolf, the Cylon, where there's a social element to this game. Now, Battlestar Galactica is also considered a co-op game where, you know, the good guys are all working together to achieve a goal, which is to reach... Uh, is it, it's, not, it's not Earth, is it? No, it's um, that other planet that they go to. Cobalt. Cobalt, right, right. Well, anyway, so uh, they're moving the, the ship along the track, and the Cylons are trying to sabotage it. However many players are Cylons, the good guys try to sniff out the Cylons. It, it, the games are long and annoying, <laughs> but there, there's always a tale to tell with these games. And I don't know. There's, it's one of those games that you get almost a headache when somebody sees the, you see the board is there and that's on it's an option it's like wow that's a commitment it's like a thrill commitment but it's always it's always an interesting experience and um i enjoy those i enjoy Battlestar. so i made that my number six my list again it's not set in stone i could i could see that resistance might be better than that mm-hmm. just because we can crank out games of the resistance faster and it's basically the same idea but I have it ranked at number six. So Battlestar Galactica, just a little history about me. Until uh, two weeks ago, when I when I redid my top fifty games, this was my this was my favorite game. It was my number one, number game. one game, and it dropped all the way down into like tw- the twenties. Mm. And it's because you can have a game of this where it, it could be a bad experience. Uh, so we've actually had a couple. One of them yeah, was sure. there was a guy for some reason. We'll call him Dave. He, he decided that, I don't know what made him think this. He thought that we just knew he was going to the Cylon. So on the first turn, he just came out and said he was a Cylon. It was turn one. Yeah. Like his first thing he did. It's like, I'm the Cylon. Oh, you guys are going to figure it out. And, it, it, you know, the game was okay. But without that tension of figuring out who the Cylons were, it, like, it just was like this co-op game that was scripted. That's what it felt like. Dave doesn't like the closet. Okay. <laughs> he come. He comes out of the. He's like the first werewolf out of the closet, the first Cylon out of the closet. Um, he has a strategy in his way of doing it. Sometimes it, there's a brilliance to it. But I, I agree that game was a little slow. It was a little. It just wasn't intriguing. And right. I think the appeal with these games is when there's a mystery and you're trying to figure it out at least halfway through the game. Yeah. So I understand that, but that's that's a heck of a drop. Yeah, it was a big drop. And I think the other one is I think that we discovered a flaw in the game where you could have someone who's um, not a Cylon that you think is a Cylon and put them in the brig, and it just ruins the game. Right, and there's also a broken... I don't want to say broken. The combo. Yeah, there's there's a combo that's... It's almost like if you get this combo going, you're not going to lose. And that I mean, we won't get into that. But yeah, we don't want to spoil, ruin there, the game. There's for some you. good. There's some good things about Battlestar, but there are some flaws as well. One one last thing I'll say about Battlestar, though, is it's one of those games where uh, the end of the game can come down to a single die roll, which I think is exciting. It's like, you know, it's like you roll, and if you if you don't make that roll at the end, you're going to lose three population, and you're going to lose the game. And it, like those type of games where it, like all this tension and build up to that one moment. I don't think. Well, maybe that is true when you're battling against the raiders, but the the real random factor that's intense to me with Battlestar is when you're turning those cards over and adding up the points, and you have to reach a certain threshold, or you could lose population or lose something. Yeah. Where you don't, you don't know what's going to happen because there are blind cards put in there. 
and then there's Cylons putting cards in and, and so on. Uh, but there is skill also because you're going around saying how much can you help, you know, and you're you're putting cards in to try to meet your goal. And that that's so much better than dice. Right. And I think we'll have to have a discussion on just dice at some point. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I agree. There isn't, there isn't an element of tension when something like that happens. Yeah. It's very fun. Well, this game does it, does it well, though, because... It's like it's there's a lot of build up in the game where you're trying to get to that final jump. Yeah. And but usually what ends up happening is that final jump is not easy to get to and you're being just attacked everywhere by Cylons and so you're 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 taking the risk of jumping and losing the three population just to if you if you can make the jump you'll win. But if you if you fail that roll for the population you're going to yeah. lose. So that that brings like the whole game to a head to like this climactic moment where you have that last roll. Which I think is makes can make the game really exciting. Yeah. But if someone was in the brig the whole game and it ruined the game, then it's not fun. No. no in <laughs> fact, there's been times when human players have defected to the Cylon side, right, in order to cheer them on when they're locked in the brig. <laughs> Yeah, we won't go into that. Yeah. All right, let's move on. <laughs> um, number six for you. Number six. Um, so number six for me is a game called Suburbia. So I think this game came out a couple of years ago. It, like, when you describe this game, it sounds so boring. So you're like, <laughs> the components are just hex tiles, all flat cardboard. It's no like, plastic in the game at all. And you're, you're building a city. It's like, it's like SimCity, the, the board game. Have you played Suburbia? I can't no. remember if you played this with us. No. But, but the, the design of this game is great, where all the tiles that you place, they interact with all the tiles around them, and they interact with the tiles that everybody else has in front of them in their city. Not every tile does that, but some of them do. So, like, I could play a tile that says, uh, you know, I get a point anytime someone plays a green tile. So now if anyone plays a, one of these green tiles, then I'm getting points for it. And um, I just think the it's, it, it's one of those games that really makes you think and rewards good strategy and paying attention to... Uh, the tiles that everyone else is playing, and not just like, not just zoning in on your own on your own tiles on your own board. Where some games like, you know, some games you just focus on your own thing, and there's not a lot of interaction between the players. This one, you you're forced to pay attention to others, which is actually a, a weakness of mine in games. So this is one of those games where it's like going to help me train the skill of of paying attention to what other people are doing. I think another game that that, that comes up is a game like Seven Wonders when you're drafting. Yeah. Like I'm bad at like paying attention to what I'm handing the guy next to me. Right. And in Magic I'm I'm really bad at that too. So like if you're next to me on my left in a Magic draft, that's that's the place you want to be because you're going to get all, like all these amazing cards that are helping you and I'm not paying attention I'm at all. I'm surprised this is number 6. <laughs> you think it should be higher or lower? lower? Well, just because of how you feel about that dynamic. Oh, you like you think it should be higher? I, I would say that for you, this game wouldn't be as fun. Oh, okay. Because it has that element that you struggle with. If you if you don't like looking at other people's situations, but then this game you have to. So it's not that I don't like it; it's that I'm not I'm not good at it. Like I don't even think to to do that in some games. So and I think what I like about it is it it's I, the, a lot of these things on my list they challenge me in different ways and I think that's the thing I get the most out of board games is mm-hmm. the strategic challenge of figuring it out and it and it helps you it's, it's helping me train like skills that I don't have 
So, so it's not that I don't like it. It's like actually training me to do something that I'm not good at. That's a dangling proposition there. You said I'm not good at. <laughs> at which I'm not good. My daughter would be remiss if I didn't point that out. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. My number five. Uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this one because we've already discussed it. It's Werewolf. Same game that you had ranked number 10. Uh, love this game. Can't get enough of it. Like you said, we play it once a year, maybe twice if you get lucky in a family reunion or, or a party where you can get enough people. But it's a great game. Uh, deserves to be high. And anybody who's played it, it uh, it's hard to not enjoy this game. I mean, it's, it's very fun. Yeah. So we'll just move right along. We already discussed that. Okay. Uh, my number five game is Dominant Species. So this is a game that I bought. Uh, one of the first games I bought because it was it was pretty high on the on the list. When I was first buying games, I was just buying blind off of the top twenty games on Board Game Geek because uh, I at the you know I didn't have a, people to play with at the time. Uh, so Dominant Species is a game where each person controls a different species, and like the Ice Age is coming, and you're trying to be the dominant species. The theme is really cool. That's one of the things I like about it. But it's a very strategic game. Uh, like, and one thing I like is that each um, each species has a special power or ability, some unique advantage that only they have in the game. So part of your strategy is using that to help you win the game. And this is another um, area control game where you're yeah, you're trying to take over areas of the board and have control over them. And then through that, you get points. And then uh, you can buy, uh, you have the ability to get these cards later that are like one-time use cards. Where they, they're all like really awesome, like powerful cards. Like almost every one of them you want to, you want to have. Hmm. Uh, it's just a really fun game. One reason I, I never bring this to our game nights is because it's kind of a longer game. It could take like four to five hours Ooh. to play. Um, but in that, like, when I played this, I just played this in the last couple of weeks, actually. And those four or five hours felt like one to two hours because yeah. the game is so engrossing. And it's also one where your turns move fast. Uh, unless you have somebody who's just really overthinking it. It's like I place a pawn, you place a pawn, he plays a pawn. And then you resolve the pawns one at a time, kind of like Kalos. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not, there's not a lot of downtime uh, in between your turns and stuff. Uh, so anyway, uh, my number five, Dominant Species. My number four is Cyclades, which we talked about a minute ago. What is it called? Cyclades. Do you mean Cyclades? Yeah. Oh, okay. Same thing. Okay. We played this uh, last week. Uh, I've played it a few times. Uh, I think it was your first time playing. Yeah. One of the rare games I played that you had done. <laughs> right. I love this game the first time I played it. It has the right mix of strategy, random chance and theming uh it's not the perfect game i don't even know if there is such thing as a perfect game but it's so much fun you can play with a, a variety of people it's not restrictive um i won't get into all the mechanics but you have uh the gods the greek gods that you pull uh powers from during your turn to fate to depending on what you want to do and uh, there's kind of the draft slash placement dynamic there mm-hmm. and you win the game uh, by building your cities and you can there's a war aspect a little bit like risk or th- games like that where you can attack another player's territory and take over their their uh, structures so 
it, it's it's a fun game. It doesn't last hours, but right. it's not thirty minutes either. But somewhere in the middle, and I find it to be a very balanced and fun game. Yeah, and actually, I, one thing that I liked about this this is one of those games where. I've actually been thinking about the game a lot since we played it. Like, I want to play it again because the first play, I had no idea what I was doing. I actually almost won, which was kind of surprising because I'm I'm probably one of the worst uh, game players in our group. That's not true. So, so, um, I was being modest. So I, no, but seriously, I like I've been thinking. Oh, this is what I should have done. Like one thing I that I've been thinking about is that it seems like you kind of need to be sneaky in the game to win. Like. Like uh, Ross, uh, this guy in our group, he he almost won, and no one was no one knew he was going to win. It took us all collectively to f- to figure out what he was doing at the right. very end. He played he's played that game a lot. Yeah, he's kind of a master at that game. I mean, the, the game you're only trying to get essentially two points, the, right? Right, and he was he had set it up in a way where he I think he was going to get them both in one shot, right? Yeah. I can't remember exactly what he did. He's, he had his uh, building pieces separated, so you didn't know that he actually was very close right. to making a complete building. Right. Because the pieces were separated on the board. Right. Uh, it's one of those things that if we had, if we were experts at the game, we might have spotted a long time ago. Yeah. But I think it's one of those games you don't want to get out and head too quickly. Right. Which is my mistake. Yeah. Because it, it, there's a cutthroat element to it. And I think the cutthroat game mechanic is something I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have a larger group, four-plus people, and it's not just a one-on-one or, or th- uh, three-player games, it's good to kind of gang up on the leader a little bit to keep everything um, somewhat in check. And that game does a good job with that. So that was my number four. Now for Ryan's number four. Okay. Uh, my number four we actually talked about already, and it's Kalos. So this might be the most played, well, it's not the most played game I have, but it's definitely the most played game that I think we've played in our group. Actually, that's not true. Battlestar probably beats it. Yeah. Uh, but it's, for like a, like a pure st- like strategy game, I would say this is the one we kind of go to. Um, I just like, I just love this game. We, we already talked about it, but it's an older game, which is weird. I think this was like one of the games that made worker placement popular or maybe the game that made that mechanic popular uh but there's just so much going on and one thing that i found in this game there's a lot of different ways to win which is something i like if there's just like one strategy to win and you do that every time it's boring yeah i think Kalos is one of those games that if you ranked it among our group if you if you force everybody to rank every game i think this would probably be close to the top yeah. because not a lot of people hate the game it's minimally a decent game and then the upside is that you really like it but I will say if we played this a lot like constantly I think we would probably get tired of it yeah and I think that's true with most games uh, some games are immune to that but I, I agree that most games would suffer from that but I think uh, the gaming community at large probably doesn't like Kalos as much as we do because they probably it's it's old and it's been played out a little bit and there's other games that have come along with a similar mechanic uh, but for us especially for me I love the game I can't fault that pick at all that's right okay so that's my number four Kalos uh, what are we on now number three so I've had a lot of variations of the werewolf resistance in my list and this is yet another one okay one night werewolf one night ultimate werewolf that's what it's called yeah one night ultimate werewolf so 
we fell in love with this game a few weeks ago, or maybe three. It was like three gaming sessions ago, right? Where we played this game, and it's a variation of the werewolf game. That it's just one night. The game is minutes. You can get a game literally done in, in a matter of minutes. Uh, <laughs> and we'll go into more detail it's, about it later. It's such a fun game. We became hooked on it, and we just played the game all night. That one night at yeah. times, we just couldn't stop playing it. And uh, we were like crack addicts that were incapable <laughs> of stopping. But it was so much fun. We, it was late night, and we all had to go to work the next day and leave, but we were still playing that game. It's a phenomenal game. And of all the... Resistance, Werewolf, Cylon-type games. This is my highest ranked because I love how quick the games... You can crank out a game, and it's just... It's fascinating. Your mind is working. It's it's a great game. We'll, we'll have to spend another episode just talking about that. Well, actually, later this episode, we're going to review this game. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and I also want to say that the Outer Game Podcast does not endorse drugs in any way. <laughs> no. Say, say no to drugs. <laughs> um, and that's true. All right. My number three is a little game, and I'm there's a little irony there called Caverna, the Cave Farmers. So the irony here is, if you've ever seen this game, it's like this massive box that weighs like 20 pounds, uh, full of components and cardboard. But essentially, this is uh, it's like Agricola. It's like the successor to Agricola. Uh, so Caverna the, the Cave Farmers is instead of just being normal human farmers, you're dwarf farmers. And you're not only are you farming, but for some reason you have a cave where you're digging for rubies and raising donkeys. And you have a dog. But this game, people complain a lot about Agricola because there's this mechanic in there called Feed Your People, where if you don't feed your workers, you get these massive negative points and it's like impossible to come back from. Uh, and there's some other issues too. Like at the beginning, you get r- a random hand of cards. And have you have you played Agricola? I, I thought it. you owned I never, it. I never played. Okay, so you get a random hand of cards, and some of the cards c- c- could be really powerful. I personally have never run into this issue, but I think people who are better at games than me can see the combos of these cards, and they're better to use. They're better able to use them than I am. Uh, so I never really run into that issue, but the feeding your people thing can be annoying. Well, anyway, Caverna apparently fixes all of that, all of those issues. So people who hated Agricola are loving Caverna. So the the Dice Tower Awards just came out, and this got Game of the Year for last year. Wow. Now there's a couple of problems with this game. Uh, one of them being that it's ninety dollars to buy it, and for some reason, Mayfair Games and you know, I love some Mayfair games, but they they impose this restriction on retailers that they can't sell uh, their games for like anything less than ten or twenty percent off of MSRP. So a store can't carry the game; they're not allowed to sell it for less than twenty percent off. So most most like Cool Stuff Inc. online retailer, most of their games are over thirty percent off. So you you have to pay that amount if you want to get the game, and plus it it. It's not really in wide distribution yet. Like it's kind of hard to get, which tells a lot because even though it's been hard to get, it's still got Game of the Year. Do you own it? I don't own it. I was lucky enough to play this at BGGCon uh, last year in November because I happened to walk by a table where a guy was setting it up. He had, like, he had one of the only copies that were brought back from the Essen Game Fair in Germany. 
and and he, and I just happened to walk by when he was setting up, and they had a space left in their game, and I kind of forced myself in. I could tell that they kind of didn't want me to play. And I'm like, hey, do you guys mind if I play? And I, I kind of sat down and put my bag down, and they're like, um, okay, I guess it's fine. Nice. And so I got to play it, and it's a great game. And I know, and the reason it's so high on my list because I actually Agricola would have this place on my list, but this it it is a better game than Agricola. And it has a lot. It has like the same feeling as Agricola, so to me, it just kind of it, replaces it, it did replace it. And as far as my list goes, although I'm not going to get rid of Agricola because that's one of the games that my wife and I play all the time. Yeah, I thought that was Agricola. It's Agricola. It's like the the like pronunciation. It's the it's like the cough drop with an A G in front of it. <laughs> that's how I remember. So you can play that with two people. Yeah. Game. Yeah. That's, that's unusual. Yeah. Yeah, the board setup is different based on the number of players. So if, if you wanted to play with two, you don't you just use the, the normal board. But then um, if you add more players, you have cards that you put down that give you extra spaces to play on. That game is on iPad, by the way, for if you want to try it out and learn how to play it. Cool. All right. Excellent. Uh, my number three, Caverna. Moving quickly, number two. Uh now that my number two and number one are not even board games, so I'll just say <laughs> Magic the Gathering, the card game. I'm just paying tribute to that game where I've multi-thousands of these cards. Uh, we still play the game. You know, it's kind of timeless. I love the game very, very much. Yeah. It's always fun. Chris is really good at this game, too. I think that's one of the reasons he likes it. I'm good in some formats. I like the sealed deck format the most when people are building constructed decks or um, when nameless people Ahmad print cards out and put them in sleeves. <laughs> Wasn't that Nathan or was that Ahmad? And, <laughs> and then you know, I'm not good at that. I, I don't I don't I can't compete with these killer hundred dollar cards that people people buy. But I like the sealed deck format. It's just a fun game. Didn't you beat Ahmad's Ahmad's like angel like deck he printed out with your with, with your with your um, sealed deck you built that night? No, no, that wasn't me. I think that was Nathan. Okay, Nathan did that. <laughs> that was pretty amazing when that happened. Yeah. So, uh, Magic is a good game. I my problem with Magic is I suck at it. I'm so bad at this game, and I and I tried and tried. I would read strategy articles. Uh, it was just ridiculous how much effort I put into trying to be good at Magic, and I just could not be good at it. I, I played. I have a couple of stories about Magic I have to tell real quick. So I, I used to play this with these guys at work, uh, and they're all like software developers. And we played we played two headed giant this one time where you team up with someone and you're like, yep. Yeah. And I had a, I had a deck that I built, and then this guy was my partner. And he was so annoyed with my deck when we were playing. Like, I would play cards, and he'd be like, why do you have a card in your deck? And every card I played, he was just ripping on my cards. And, and we'd lost, right? And, and, and everyone's like, oh, you want to play again? And the guy next to me is like, oh, I'm not playing. And he, like, went to the other side of the table, and he, he refused to be my partner in the game because wow. he thought my deck was that bad. And that actually kind of upset me, and I, and I just, I like, left. Because it was, like, embarrassing. It, it, it kind of ruined my fun. The, wait, a minute, wait a minute, computer techie guy with no tact? <laughs> right. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was pretty bad. And and the, speaking of myself, the second oh, this was the worst. This is probably when I decided. This is probably when my heart changed for Magic. We were playing uh, in at Gen Con in a draft, and 
I think the past three years, I've lost the first, like, the first match of every draft I've been in, and not even the first match. I was over. I didn't even win like one of the whatever. Just the three. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was this one time where I, <laughs> I was playing against. I think it was probably like a twelve-year-old boy, <laughs> and he beat me in two two games. And and I kid you not, at the end, this is what he said. He said. Wow, I've never won a magic match before, and he was like so, so excited, and I was just so distraught. Like I'm just so bad at this That'll game. Do it. And in those drafts, for some reason, the the price of cards doesn't go up every year, but the drafts get more expensive every year at Gen Con. So I haven't quite figured out the math or economics there. So you're buying, you're getting like four packs of cards for I think eighteen dollars to do a draft. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I think there's a little supply and demand going on. They know it's the only way to do a draft is through them. There's no other place to do it there. Yeah. Yeah, the good thing about it is it's like 24-hour drafts. So I still play Magic sometimes, but I, uh, yeah. It's not for you. Not in my top ten. Okay, your number two? My number two is a game called Aura et Labora. This is actually the German name of the game. Uh, because the English name is Aura and Labora. I guess the German name was a little too complex to put on the box, <laughs> so they put the ampersand in there instead. Uh, anyways, this is actually the same designer as Agricola, uh, Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, in this game, this is not This is one of those games that... Um, <laughs> this is actually... It's kind of funny this is number two, because I've actually never finished a full game of this either. So I played this. I've only played this. I played, tried to play it twice with my wife, and she she hated it. And so we didn't get to finish. But while I was playing it, I like loved the game so much. I was so disappointed that that she didn't like it hmm. because it's it's similar to Suburbia in that uh, you're placing cards. Uh, you're like you're like monks. So Aura Labor, I think, is Latin. Don't don't quote me on this because I'm no Latin scholar. I, but I believe it means pray and work. And mm-hmm. and it's about monks. So you're you're like building up a monastery or something. I don't know. I don't know a lot about monks, but so you're putting these cards down, and all of your cards get points based on the cards that are around them. So you're trying to maximize your points by by where you're placing your cards. But then on top of that, it's kind of similar uh, mechanisms to uh, Agricola, where it's actually really more like another game called Lahav, where you, you'll get some resources and then you convert them to other resources, and then you convert those to something else, and then you combine them into something that gives you points. So it's like you you like have to always be thinking about, okay, I'm going to buy this, I'm going to convert it to that, and then it's like a, a lot of different things to think about. Uh, and, and I like games like that, where you're, just, you're constantly involved in the game because you're always having to think of what you're going to do on your turn, and you have to think a few moves ahead which is something else I'm bad at that I like learning. Uh, so anyways, it, it took those elements plus this whole placement thing, which is where I think makes the game jump ahead of other games for me. Is It's like two things that I like about completely separate games, and they're combined into one game. Uh, so anyways, that's my number two, Aura and Labora. All right. So to finish on my list at number one, I've got role-playing game. D&D, GURPS, whatever you want to fill that in with. But the polymorphized version of role-playing, which we kind of came up with in 2004, the early 2000s maybe, where it's less minis, less dice rolling, less dungeon crawling, and more politics and 
uh, immersive story building. Uh, I would not rank Dungeons and Dragons per se as number one, but that style of role playing, I have more fun doing that than any of these other games. So it's 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 easily number one, even though it's something I haven't done in years. I mean, we haven't. It's been years since we've done this, but. Um, it's honestly more fun for me. I mean, I enjoy it, and we relive a lot of those things. We've recorded some of our sessions and replayed them. It's it's a good time. So I'll grant that my top two is probably a little odd. It's not board game geek worthy, but it just uh, if I had to choose what to play, and I'm on a desert island, and i got to bring one game with me, that would be the one. Yeah. Well, in fairness, I think probably a lot of people that would actually take the time to listen this far into this podcast probably enjoy role-playing games as well. I think, uh, and, and honestly, I, I agree, that the fun factor of a role-playing game probably is more fun to me than board games also. Uh my, I guess I went a more traditional route with my list, which I think is interesting because you're – well, I haven't even done my number one yet. But your list you know, has things like speed chess on it, which is something I never would have thought of. Uh, Magic, I could actually see being on other people's lists too. It's still like in the top 200 on right. Board Game Geek. But yeah, role-playing is – it's great for the experience. And I think a lot of the games that I play, I'm looking for um, that theme in a game – where the the theme you were mentioning this earlier, where the theme comes out in the game, mm-hmm. and so you're, you're when you're playing it, you feel like you're doing that. And I think the reason I I crave that is because we're not doing role playing anymore, mm-hmm. and it kind of gives you that feeling in a condensed um, form. And and I think that's why I don't like games like chess, because chess and other abstract games, I don't, I just don't, I don't have that feeling, and I don't, I don't have enough fun with just the math and mechanics right. of a game for me to really enjoy it. Yeah, I understand. Uh, Themes. Theme, theming is worth a lot, and uh, that definitely comes out there. Yeah. So what is your number one? So I got a little flack for this from you guys oh, when, yeah. I, when I brought it up before. So my number one game is a game called Alien Frontiers. Now, I think, I think there's some people out there that are going to agree with me that this is a great, great game that is worthy of the number one spot on my list. I think it's the, it's the only game on your list that's wrong. <laughs> it's like actually wrong. <laughs> I'm going to defend this game, though. I'm going to tell you why it's a great game and why it deserves to be number one and why you should like it more. Okay. Okay. First of all, you can play this game in an hour. Okay. One hour in enriched game experience, hardly any downtime, which is the second point. You place, I place, we all place quick turns. The theme of the game is amazing, comes through completely. You feel like you're, you're in outer space, flying ships around, going to different stations, and, and using the resources there. Okay. Okay. So now the other thing that I think, uh, well, one reason particularly that I like this game is because the game is very tactical. You have to roll your dice, and then whatever those dice are, you have to just, just you have to figure out how to maximize um, what you're going to do that turn based on that roll. It's it's you can have a long term strategy in this game, but the the tactical elements of the game are really its strength for me. And and I think the great thing about a game like that is there's not a lot of analysis paralysis where uh, you know 
the, what I mean by that is there's not a lot of decision space, I guess. Right. There's not, yeah, there's not like a million things to choose from. It's like, all right, I have these dice and I have to figure out but what to do with these dice. But it's a problem because decision making is part of what makes a game fun too. And if you're pigeonholed by what you roll, then that takes away the decision. But it, but it, it gets you around that. You're not pigeonholed, and that's where the, the cards come in. So you buy cards that let you manipulate the dice. And so you're, you may roll something, but you're like, all right, well, I can flip this one. I can, I can make that one a one. You know, I can do this and that. And, oh, and then I can get that station right there, which is something you wanted, and you're just trying to figure out a way to make that work. I, I really love games where you have to do something like that. And I think... This is one of those, because I think it's a strength of mine, that's probably why this game is so high. Whereas the other games, I like that that it's a weakness of mine that it's training. This is something that I'm actually good at. Uh, How so many times have you played this game? I've played it, I think, three or four times. Okay. And, and, and it was all at conventions, because uh, I didn't actually get the game until recently, because I, I kickstarted it. They, they, they had a kickstarter for the fourth edition, and I just got the, the base game. Yeah, in fairness, I've only played the game once, so I probably shouldn't be too critical of it. Um, it just surprised me that it was so high. I mean, number one is that's a uh, there's a lot of really good games in your list that this is higher than. So when I played the game, I wasn't blown away by it. I didn't mind the game. I thought it was fun. I think Tim won. <laughs> probably. He always wins the first time. And... <laughs> Yeah, I remember enjoying the game, but it didn't. I didn't remember it. Like it didn't stick with me. Like wow, I've got to play that again. But it doesn't mean that it's not a great game. Maybe mm-hmm. we should play it more, and then I could feel a little more comfortable making my opinion. But I do remember rolling the dice and being frustrated sometimes, though, because you felt a little powerless there. There is a lot of strategy, and there's the placement mm-hmm. dynamic. So there's definitely some good things there. I'd be willing to give it another shot. Yeah, well, we should. I mean, an hour. Yeah. Can't beat that. I, I think you'll come around. I do like that the game moves along. Yeah. I think that's worth a lot to me. It, it, overanalyzing is, is painful. So uh, the fact that the turns are quick, I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, the, those are our top ten games. So I think you'll see where, kind of where we're coming from with, with our game style and our tastes. You can tell that Chris and I have a lot different opinions of the type, I guess the types of games that we like, I would say are pretty different uh, as far as the top 10 goes. Yeah, and I would love to talk more about what makes a game fun and uh, the problems with games, like why a game wouldn't be fun. And there's a lot of interesting discussion there uh, because every game touches on some sort of luck, for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, how much, how little. Some people enjoy that more than others, that kind of thing. And we could break down a lot of that, I think, it would be very interesting. All right. So uh, let's move on to our review of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. The wolf. You talk to me. And you understood it? As clearly as I understand you. Have you told anyone else about this? Only Roxanne knows, but she won't tell anyone. She won't even talk to me about it. I chose not to kill you. I think it wants me alive. 
Yeah, so we talked about this earlier. It was in my list as number three, the number three best game of all time. So this game is fascinating in the sense that you have this this dynamic of the werewolf game, the resistance game, where you don't know who is who, and the winning and losing is largely based on predicting who is the werewolf. But it's one night. You're only doing it. It's one instance, and you have uh, limited options. You have limited time, even when we turn on the timer. And the, the strategizing, the, the deduction, the, the mystery solving, um, there's many different roles that you may or may not have. It's, it's just so much fun to, to play this game. I, I can't get enough of it. And the game is over in five or ten minutes. You play it again. Right. So I'll give a, just a quick description of this game because I, I actually kickstarted this game too. Um, and I, I want to give credit to Bezier Games here. This was the quickest delivered Kickstarter that I've ever backed. I kickstarted it, and I think within a month, I received the game at a convention. I was able; they gave the option to pick it up at a convention I was going to. So I, I mean, it was so fast. And you know, I've been backing; I've backed a lot of kickstarters. I think it's like up to fifteen now. Hmm. And this one was was just an amazingly run one. Uh, but anyways, when I first heard of the game One Night Werewolf, it sounded stupid Mm -hmm. because werewolf the first night of werewolf is the worst part of the whole game and i was like well what is this going to be but they did they took it they took the concept of werewolf and made it into a completely different experience Mm -hmm. and it took out the element of if you're just a horrible liar like i am and in regular werewolf i'm a horrible horrible liar And 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 you'll get figured out over time in this game it's so fast that you can you can just confuse people by what's happening, and it doesn't matter if you're a bad liar, and, and you might not even know what your card what your card is. So the way this game works is everyone gets a roll, all right. It's a tile. You look at your tile, and, it, and based on the character you have, you'll have a an ability um, that you'll do in the night, all right. So so Chris will get a tile, I'll get a tile, everyone will, everyone else will get a tile. So for example, there's one called the robber. Um, so everyone's going to put their heads down, and there's actually an app that you play that does the narration. The narration will tell you what to do. You almost don't even need to teach the game because right. you could just listen to the narration and figure it out. So the narration will say, you know, robber. That's my Eric Summer impression. It'll say, uh, you know, robber, you can trade your, your tile with another player and then look at your new tile. All right, so all the tiles are face down in front of us. If I'm the robber, I get to trade my tile with, let's say I, I want to trade with Chris. So I, I, I give him, put my tile in front of him, I take his tile, and I look at it. And now at the, when we wake up, that's my new, that's what I think is my new role in the village. And then the troublemaker gets to trade two other people's tiles. The drunk trades his tile for a center tile, which is like an unused tile. Right, yeah. So there's three tiles in the middle, which I forgot to mention. And the seer, in regular werewolf, the seer gets to look at someone every night, right? Well, the seer can look at someone else's tile or they can look at two of those tiles in the middle, and which is actually really powerful, which we've figured out over time. So anyways, you wake up. Now, the great thing about this is you don't know what tile is in front of you, and you, you can't look at it. 
So I could have been a werewolf at night. Yeah, so by the end of the night, when this one night that, where the game takes place, the tiles have been moved because of these different roles. There's, uh, there's a lot more roles we haven't covered, but uh, the, the app takes you through uh, the narration of what you're supposed to do and when. So everybody has their heads down. The app tells the troublemaker to put their head up and do their task and so on. So by the end of the night, you wake up, you have no idea what tile is in front of you. They've been manipulated by all of these different roles anonymously. Um, the only person who may have some information is the seer, but even the seer's information could be obsolete because after the seer looks at a tile, it's been moved, so on. So the, the goal of the game, and obviously there's werewolf tiles too, the goal of the game is to try to figure out who has the werewolf tiles. A right. little bit like a shell game where you, you start out maybe knowing where that shell is and it's been moved around, but you don't know by who because everybody's keeping the information that they know to themselves. Then once everybody begins to share information about what they did, because everybody has the same goal, and that is to figure out where the werewolf card is, this, this information begins to flush out and you begin to piece together where the werewolf card is. Right. And it's a little bit like a hot potato. If you have that werewolf card in front of you and they figure it out, you lose. So the winning and losing is based on where that card exists at the end of the night. Right. And I think that's the thing that's hard for people to grasp at first is they don't know what they are. So if I was a werewolf when the night started, and, and the werewolves don't kill anyone like in other werewolf games. They don't actually kill anyone. They just look at each other and they just know they're bad. Right. That's, and they're just trying not to get lynched. That's really right. their whole job, um, which coincidentally is my strength in the other werewolf mm, that's game. That's true. Um, yeah, you have to think of the werewolf card in this game as a hot potato. You don't right. want it. You don't want this card. If you start out with it, you hope that somebody else gets it. And there have been people that position their tiles when the night starts at a certain angle. And then when they wake up, if that tile is at the exact same <laughs> angle, they might know that they still have it. Things like that. And if you uh, if you don't have that card anymore, then you turn into a villager and you want to lynch the person who does have the werewolf card because that's the card you don't want. Yeah, and that makes it makes the gameplay interesting because when you wake up, you're trying to figure out what happened in the night. And they give you these little tokens to try to to like when you think you figured it out, you can kind of replay the night using these little tokens. There's like a, a little circular token for each each person in the village, and you know. Sometimes when when you if you know you're the werewolf, you're just like intentionally trying to confuse people, and you're putting the tokens everywhere. Like, oh, this is what I think happened, you know, and it, it just throws people off. And you can play the game with a timer where you only have ten minutes. So if someone can confuse you long enough, they could just win by just causing mass confusion. And and just to go over real quick some of the other rules, like the there's masons that who they just get to look at each other in the night, and they just know that they're masons. Uh, there's the insomniac who they're like the one person who gets to look at their card before you wake up uh, because they're an insomniac. They, they couldn't sleep. Right? right. And then there's the tanner. The tanner hates his job and he's butt ugly and he has this huge Adam's apple. And so he just wants to die. So during the, during, if the tanner dies, he wins, which is really interesting because there's someone that, that's acting like a werewolf and they could be the tanner. So you don't want right. to kill them because right. you usually win by killing the werewolves. But if you kill the tanner, the tanner wins. And then there's the, the minion who he's on the team of the werewolves and wins with the werewolves. And then the doppelganger who gets to copy someone's uh, 
ability and use it. So there's all these different roles and you can mix and match them. And each time you mix them, it's like a different experience. Yeah, it's it's an amazing game because it's simple. Right. And the deduction, the, the, the working out the problems and trying to solve where these tiles are. Uh, the, I mean, how many games are there like this where it's like a combination of werewolf and like a shell game? You don't know. What's a shell game? Sorry, I don't even know what that like, is. Um, <laughs> where you have the, the, the street performers have like the three shells. Oh, okay. There's like a ball under one. Of them. They move them around very quickly. <laughs> okay. and you have to try to figure out where it is. It's kind of like this. You don't know where that card went. Okay, got it. Yeah, I'm sure there might have been some other people wondering what that was. Okay. <laughs> don't they usually use cups? What kind of shells are they, they using? They use cups, but they call it a shell game. Okay. And not the cup game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting combo to take all these different roles along with the werewolf theme and then uh, create this, you know, the shuffling of the cards and trying to figure out where they are. So uh, one thing that I like about this game is the I like the, first of all, the artwork. What do you think about the artwork? The artwork is nice. You know, you get these tiles and you you become that role like that's that's what your role is and they didn't have to put a lot of effort into that uh, but it's nice when they go the extra mile and make the art nice it immerses you a little bit in the game coupled with the app where this guy narrates it they've got cricket sounds in the background with it sounds like you're in the wilderness at some village it adds a lot to the game uh, it does immerse you in the theme and i think that does add a lot to it yeah, and, and, and to give you a taste of the, of the app, uh, let me just play a little clip of it for you real quick. Okay. Everyone, close your eyes. Werewolves, wake up and look for other werewolves. Werewolves, close your eyes. Robber, wake up. You may exchange your card with another player's card and then view your new card. Robber, close your eyes. Everyone, wake up. All right. So, so the and the tile. The other thing I like about this game uh, is the tiles. You know, these could just be cheap cards, right? They could have just totally cheaped out and just given you a deck of cards. They actually they made them into these tiles. Now, I will say that my tiles are kind of chipping uh, on the edges, which is a could be bad because then you could you could know what a tile is when you look at it, which would, would totally ruin this game. Right. So I had to buy sleeves, which I haven't put on yet. To give credit to the designer of the game, he he didn't say the the tiles were going to get chipped, but he did during the Kickstarter tell you exactly what card sleeves to buy uh, and how to do it because they don't they don't fit in the card like the card sleeve is too long for mm-hmm. it. So he told you which ones to buy, and basically you just have to cut the top off of the sleeve. So I'm going to sleeve them, so you know, so the chipping doesn't cause a problem. Yeah. Uh, but but if my if this game got ruined, I would buy it again. It's worth it. Yeah. It's, it's for anybody who is is listening and wondering about this game. I couldn't recommend a game higher than this. It's it's completely worth it. It's one of those games you have to actually do it, mm-hmm. and then it, it, you start to understand why what the appeal is of this game. And I'm pretty. I'm checking the rules, but I believe this game can actually go down to three players. Yeah, it can be three players, which is two werewolves, a steer, a robber, trollmaker, and a villager. Mm-hmm. And you can you could never play like any uh, any of these other games that like the resistance in these other games yeah, we mentioned. Three. There's no way you could do those with three pl- people. And I've done this with three, and it is still fun. Yeah. Good. 
So, um, anyways, uh, oh, well, one last question. So, this game, MSRP of this game is $25. And right now you can get it on cool stuff for $16.50. What do you think? Do you think that's a, a good price for this yeah. game? $16.50, absolutely. Yeah. It's worth every cent. I, I agree. And I think because of the fact that it's the tiles are amazing, the art is really good, but just the, the amount of fun you're going to get out of this game, like... Like, like some games, they're like fifty dollars, right? And I don't know, you might play them like three or four times. Mm-hmm. This is this game is sixteen fifty, and I, we're probably going to play it over a hundred times. It would be my guess. Yeah. We've already probably played it twenty times just in two game nights. Yeah, I think so. So uh, yeah, I would definitely highly recommend going out and buying this game right now. All right. So I think we've come to the end of our show. I think that's a a wrap. So a couple things I wanted to mention. We do have a Twitter feed. Chris, what's our Twitter address? Our Twitter Twitter address is at OOG Podcast. That's right. We have not posted any tweets yet, but maybe we have. Not sure yet. OOG stands for Out of Game. Yeah. The name of our podcast. Yeah, it's not OOG. OOG Podcast. It's not OOG Podcast, although... Feel free to call us that. You can also email us at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. And I have created a Board Game Geek guild uh, for our podcast. That's guild number 1990. That was a good year. 1990. Yeah. I was kind of happy to get 1990. 1990 is good. Yeah, for the number. So um, you can go out and find us or just by searching under the guild section for Out of Game. So anyways, uh, thanks for sticking through. And... Uh, Look forward to future episodes, future discussions, and uh, I think that's it for me. Anything else you want to say, Chris? No, it's been fun. We'll do this again. And uh, again, I promise this is going to be entertaining stuff. Thank you for listening. My name is Chris, and I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. Good night. Four mics are live. All right. Four mics. <laughs> Quad engines. <laughs> Quad core. All right. So. Welcome to Out of Game, <laughs> where we talk about gaming issues out of game. That's right. It's a pun. It's like being not in the game, but outside of it. Exactly. <laughs>